0: listening to Grace City Portland. Thanks Raquel. Good morning guys. Good to see you. As Raquel mentioned, my name is Simon. I'm the lead pastor here. um, One of several leaders at this church, and I'm really glad to see you guys. Thank you for being here. Uh, we say our, our, our vision statement, our strapline as a church is we exist so that anyone might experience truth, grace, and new life in Jesus Christ. Um, we always begin with anyone because even though we are in a church building, a beautiful building at that, um, that we're very blessed to, to be able to use Even though we're in a religious setting, at a church service, in a church building, it would be tragic to assume that we're all on the same page, that we're all starting from the same place. We want to be the kind of community where no matter where you're coming from, uh, what you believe, what you don't believe, what you're just utterly confused about, uh, we want to go on a journey together and we want to explore uh, truth, that is God's word as we find it in the scriptures, and grace truth saturated in the goodness and the faithfulness, the grace of God. When we do that together, inevitably that results in in transformed lives. We become a family of God because of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. Through his death and his resurrection, uh, we become new people. We become children of God and we do that together. So, um, I say that most weeks, I felt just uh, led to emphasize it this week, because we're actually going to go on a bit of a journey together. If you were here last week, uh, we began a series, a new series of teachings, and um, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off, and I just want you to know, if you feel a bit lost, uh, uh, sorry, uh, I'll do my best, you can always catch up, you can listen to the talks on our podcast. GraceCityPortland.org But you could really jump in any place This is a a, I I redrew This is a more legible version Of a diagram I scribbled on the chalkboard Last week And it's a picture of a journey From deliverance That is meeting God, being rescued by God Experience deliverance Or salvation As we often say um, So that we might eventually be led to the final destination, that we might someday experience uh, God in all of his fullness, that we might become who, who we were given life to become in the first place. And so this is, this is the Christian life. I think at some level it's, it's what we're all after in life, wherever you're at spiritually speaking. We want to experience some degree of, of, of happiness, fulfillment, uh, a change, betterment, well being, and, and, and hopes that we're moving forward and that we're progressing to, uh, to what life's meant to be. Um, Jesus described it as abundant life. Um, but quite specifically, this is the Christian journey. It begins with God saving us out of death. Um, the metaphor in, that we looked at last week is that God's people, Israel, were in slavery in Egypt, this oppressive nation where they had been uh, living for 400 plus years. And God heard them crying out. God heard their anguish, and he rescued them out of slavery. How do you like my little cemetery there? <laughs> I was happy about that. Out of death, he parts the Red Sea, which is this picture of cleansing, of rescue. As Christians we, we, we celebrate this. We, relive, live, we participate in this through baptism. We cross the Red Sea and we find ourselves in this wilderness area. This is the wilderness of, uh, of Shur. And then after a journey of about 50 days, God's people came to a mountain called Sinai um, or Horeb as well. And it was there that God declared that you are to be my people, my, my holy people, like a royal priesthood, to demonstrate to the world who I am, what I'm like, and what it's meant to, to, to look like, to feel like, to be blessed by me. And that happened there. Um, we call the festival that is, uh, celebrates or uh, commemorates the giving of the law to the Jewish people Um, In the Greek, that's known as Pentecost. It's 50 days after the Day of Atonement or after the the Passover when God delivered his people out of Egypt. Um, And we know that in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit as he had promised. And the disciples, those early followers of Jesus, were given God's law in a new way. Um, the book of Jeremiah said that God would write his law on human hearts. The prophet Ezekiel said that, he, that God would remove from us a heart of stone and give us new hearts, hearts of flesh, soft hearts. And so the law is no longer meant to just be a set of rules that we might aspire to and probably fail To do perfectly, now becomes God's law written on our hearts, and that is a work of the Spirit. Do you like my dove? Thank you. What do you mean, that's a dove? This is obviously a dove. You know, let's just pray. We're we're done. I'm proud of my dove. That's the Holy Spirit. From there, God moves his people. He says, right, now you are my people. It's time to enter into the land that I promised your fathers, the land that long ago God promised Abraham, the father of our faith, that he was going to multiply his family into a a whole people, a people through whom God would bless and restore the entire world. And so there's this metaphor of, of God delivering his people saving them, giving them his law, describing to him what it looks like to be and to live as his people. And he says, right, it's time to enter into the promised land. So right around here, God's people says, but first, before we go in, we've got to send spies. We've got to check it out. We've got to get a strategy. We've got to see what we're coming up against. And so they send out 12 spies, and they're in this land for 40 days, and they quickly realize that there's giants to be conquered in this promised land. So they come back and they give a report to Moses and God's people. They say, bad idea, we really shouldn't do this. I mean, our God is big, but these giants are really big. And so for fear, out of doubt, they end up wandering around in the desert for another 40 years. A whole generation passes, and finally God says, right, it's time to try this again. He takes the next generation who had come up after this generation had died out. And he says, it's time to cross over. And then finally, they pass over the Jordan and they entered in the promised land. And of course, the story only continues from there. But this whole picture of God delivering his people and taking them on this journey to ultimately enter into this land that they had been promised, it's it's a picture of our journey. It's called a spiritual metaphor, call it just life, this is what Jesus invites us to participate in. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are to be baptized as Jesus commanded. You are to follow him through the wilderness and be filled with the Holy Spirit and ultimately led on this journey to conquer giants and to be God's people in the world until the new Jerusalem touches down, until heaven becomes one with earth again. But the journey takes a little while. Just because one experiences the deliverance of God doesn't mean we automatically get transported to um, heaven someday. But there's a process, and so finally, we uh, we looked at some aspects. What does the journey look like? What is this tension? look like between deliverance and destiny that we're meant to navigate in our daily lives. And we talked about the reality of anticipation, how God is present. God has delivered us and God will continue to meet us and fight for us and provide for us and help us and change us and lead us and speak to us and do things present tense that we should be eagerly expecting as we walk with Jesus even now in this life. But we also talked about hope And I made the point that although we have been delivered, final deliverance is still to come. Although the king has conquered the giants in the land, we have yet to cross the Jordan with Christ and to enter into his heavenly kingdom because the king is still meant to come back. And so we're always looking forward to the return of Jesus. We're always full of hope for ultimate deliverance. We talked about consequence. And I refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where the Apostle Paul uh, quite explicitly warns the believers. He warns us to consider the severe consequences of the choices we make as we follow Jesus because those choices will absolutely matter. And that was a bit heavy. We also talked about practicing that although... We are called to participate in a spiritual journey, a spiritual reality, if you will, as we follow Jesus. It's not without practicality. It's not removed from like, daily disciplines, practicing things like giving and serving, um, becoming more and more like Jesus in the practical aspects of our daily lives. And then finally, we ended by talking about rest. That ultimately, the journey is only done. The victory is won, not because of anything that we might do or perfect or learn or master, but because the master has perfected a work for us that is he has already passed through. He is the anointed one. He has perfectly fulfilled the law. He has faced the giants. He has crossed over. He has won the day for us. And so we learn to rest in the completed work of Jesus as we go. Amen. So I'm not going to do that every week. This is the story. This is the big picture this morning we're going to zoom in right here. So if you have a Bible, open it to the book of Exodus. Um, we can get those slides up there so we're calling our, our teaching series, "Are we there yet?" Um, life Lessons for Living in the Now, but Not yet." I think is what we'll subtitle it and here we go. Go ahead. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. So they've crossed the Red Sea, and it says Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water. ...of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah, which literally means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he, Moses, cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log or a tree or a branch. And he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Next slide, please. There the Lord made for them... A statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, deliverance, for I am the Lord your healer. They came, Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. One spring of water for each tribe, and one palm tree for each one of the elders. Father, help us. I pray that this morning we would do more than just simply acquire more information about you, but rather we would even experience more of you, because we want to walk in communion with you, and I pray that as we consider your words, your truth, that you would open our hearts and be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So three days into the trip, just three days, uh, they had just crossed the Red Sea, as I've said a few times. Big, big victory. I mean, this was spectacular Historical event in the life of God's people. Do you happen to recall what they did just after crossing over? They sang a song. It's the first worship song in the scriptures. Um, This is the, what is it? Exodus 15, verse, I love verse 21. This is, no, verse 20. Then Miriam the prophetess. The sister of Aaron took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider is thrown into the sea. Have you ever been to one of those churches where um, they they have tambourines? You've been there? Look, if you've never been a part of that, do yourself a favor. It may feel weird to some, but it's biblical. It is biblical, and I'm telling you, there's nothing funner than being it's in a church full of people who are just so excited about the deliverance of their God, but they can't help but break into spontaneous tambourine worship. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. There's something deeply spiritual about this reality. Like they have been rescued. They're singing. And doesn't this say Moses sang the song? Moses led them all in a song. And then spontaneously, Miriam's like, come on, girls, get your tambourines. We're going to worship our king. I'm just saying. If you ever feel led, you know, we are are a little bit of a Pentecostal church. I'm going to confess it. We want the Holy Spirit to just lead the way. Okay, so that happens, and then just three days into the journey, someone's like, who brought the water? Anyone bring water? Okay, we are in a desert. Who brought the water? Purifier, iodine, anyone? Moses, Aquafina. Did no one bring water? And they begin to grumble just three days in. Now, to be fair, three days is about all it takes to begin to like get properly dehydrated. Has anyone ever gone three days without water? Now, I reckon you want to die. That's, that's like you, you are almost going to die, I think, after about three days. Can anyone confirm that? Any doctors? Yeah, it's about right. So, granted, it's only three days, but three days without water, you're going to want to die. And, and that's, that's kind of where they are at. It says that there, there actually was water, right? They found water, but the water was bitter. It was Mara. You know the last time that word was mentioned in Scripture? It was in the first chapter of Exodus. It says in Exodus chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This is back... When they were in slavery. It says the Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. They have gone from bitter to not better, to bitter. It was hard in Egypt. The labor was bitter. Their lives were bitter. They, arguably, were bitter. And then God delivered them. God rescued them out of slavery, and now three days into the journey, where are they at? Bitter. Guys, I'm sorry, but this is an obvious analogy for life. Right? Amen. Now, I don't mean to be a downer. You're like, what? Like, no. my, Okay, yeah, but this is an analogy for life. Um. When I became a Christian, it wasn't three days and I was moaning to the Lord. Uh, but it didn't take long before I realized like, oh, so life was difficult because I was just like in bondage uh, to my own sin. And now I've given my life to Jesus and he's rescued me and he's actually set me free from some of these sinful Patterns, habits, addictions that I was completely bound up in, and that's super cool, but now life is hard in a whole new way. I've gone from like bitter labor to bitter water. What is the difference between the bitterness that God's people were experiencing in Egypt and the now bitter water that they're facing in the wild. I would argue that the difference, basically speaking, is that in Egypt life was hard, but the best they could hope for would be to perhaps maybe get a little more pleasure than pain. That perhaps the bitterness, the toil, The hard life that they were enduring uh, would be worth it if they could just get a little something out of it. More pleasure than pain. They had a master in Egypt, only their master was only interested in them so long as they brought some kind of value to the table. The difference between Egypt and the wild is that life is still hard. The water is still bitter, but they now have a new master. They now have a new master, a master who calls himself Jehovah-Rofi, who says, this is not like Egypt. Know that I am the Lord, your healer. And although the journey is going to be hard, although there will be bitter water to stomach, know that this is not for... This is not purposeless suffering. This isn't hopeless pain. I am going to use this process. I'm going to teach you some things about what it looks like, how it feels, how one ought to trust me so that by the end of this road trip, you will know that I am your healer. What's the deal with the log? Is the log not just slightly arbitrary? Now, of course, I'm tempted as I was meditating on the log uh, to want to somehow just, just, this would be my perfect segue to talk about the cross, right? It's a tree. It's wood, yes. This is it, Um, and I wouldn't be the first to go there. I uh, read a number of commentaries on this passage. It it, it is slightly arbitrary. Um, Some of the ancients, like uh, third-century Tertullian, the great Trinitarian uh, theologian, Ambrose who was the teacher of Augustine, 4th century, St. Jerome, 4th century. If you read all these guys' commentaries on Exodus 15, they all say, oh, the the log, that's the cross. The bitter water is the law, and the log is the cross. The law without Jesus' victory on the cross, the bitter water without the tree is hopelessness. But with Jesus, there is meaning in the water. And I love that. I don't know if that is in fact uh, what the author of the Pentateuch uh, had in mind. I'm happy to go there. I'm I'm down with Jerome, Ambrose, Tertullian. Um, But I, I just, I'm not convinced that that is in fact what the log stands for. It seems slightly arbitrary. We do know this though, we do know this, that there was a situation, there was bitter water and there was a solution, there was a log, there was something there that when the people grumbled to Moses, their leader, which is interesting, uh, Moses did what any good leader should do, he prayed, now look, I'll, I'll be the first to confess as a, as an aspiring leader, typically when someone comes to me with a problem, my default uh, notion is, okay, well, let's fix it. Let's, of course, we'll pray. <laughs> Obviously, we'll pray. But let's fix the thing. Let's problem solve. Let's troubleshoot. Let's somehow figure out how we can, like, manage the situation. I don't know if there was any managing this situation. All Moses could do was cry out to God. And so we did. That's good leadership. And it says that Moses cried out, and the Lord showed him. A log. And so Moses threw it in the water. Why? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, we're told that the Lord was testing his people. He was testing his people. He was testing them that their hearts might be brought to bear. Because the real problem, it wasn't the water. We're told Elim, it was just down the road. Depending upon how you do your like, Old Testament Bible math, uh, it was about a day's journey down the road. God could have just been like, hey, don't worry, fresh water down the road, no big deal, chin up, you're almost there. They could have just bypassed the bitter water altogether. But God needed his people to know in no uncertain terms, right at the outset, that this journey wasn't just about getting from A to B. This was a journey of healing. This was a journey of God's people becoming God's people. And he needed his kids to be confronted with the state of their own hearts. And so he used this bitter situation to show his people that their problem wasn't the bitter water. The problem was, and as we will see, as we continue on, the bitterness in their own hearts. And so God gave them a log to test them that they might be confronted with the true state of their hearts. Only three days into the wilderness and already they were moaning. Already they were forgetting that God had just delivered them out of slavery, out of death in the most spectacular way. I, um, I can remember uh, when I got married. I'd only been married, um, I don't know, less than a year. Um, my wife is at home sick in bed, so you can pray for her, Um, but I know for sure that she wouldn't mind me uh, opening up a little bit, uh, because I've done so before, but we had the hardest, like, the first few years of our marriage were brutal. Like, everyone had told us, like, marriage is hard, marriage is hard. It turns out they were all liars, okay? Hard was a gross understatement, (laughs) okay? It was like, oh my goodness, what have I done? Like, and I'm sure my wife was thinking the same thing. Like, what have we done? What have we gotten ourselves into? Only a few days into the journey, and I'm like, oh, God. And it was hard. It was really hard. I love my wife to death, and we have an amazing marriage now. Let me just say that, all right? We have an amazing marriage. We really do. But my goodness, the first few years, um, it, it was bitter. It was bitter. I remember vividly. You feel me? You want the tambourine? I remember going on a walk. I, I, this is so vivid in my mind. And it, you know, I was I was just distraught. It's just hard. I'm just like I don't. This feels so hopeless. Feels so hopeless. And I knew what I, I should be thinking, and feeling because I was a Christian and I and I and I read my Bible. But emotionally, like in my soul, I'm like, this is just so hard. I feel so, so hopeless. And I was going for this walk, and I kept praying this prayer. Lord, just help. Lord, help. Lord, teach me to love my wife, your daughter, the way you love her. Teach me to love Shirley the way you love her. And I remember God spoke to me. This doesn't happen to me often, but he he spoke to my heart quite clearly. And he said, son... You want to learn to love like the cross? It's going to cost you everything. What you're feeling right now is, is, is what it feels like to make your way to the cross. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to learn to love like me, okay, my love is most spectacularly displayed through my death On the cross. The scriptures tell us that God demonstrated his love for us in giving his own son as propitiation for our sins, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how God loves his kids. He dies for us. And not because we're just so lovable and despite our unlovableness. Felt like there should have been one more syllable there. God dies for us and that's how he loves. And I was like, wow, okay. So that's the journey I'm on. So that, that's what I've signed up for. And I realized that the problem wasn't Shirley. The problem wasn't our marriage. The problem wasn't our circumstances. The problem was that we were broke and living in London. None of these things were the bitterness factor. It was my heart. It was my heart that God was after. Oh, amen or oh, my So I went home and uh, I remember, you know, I was feeling better and I walk upstairs to release really taking a bubble bath. I grab a number two pencil and I chuck it in the water. Just <laughs> kidding, I didn't do that. <laughs> 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 Sorry. I've been. <laughs> I've been thinking about that all week. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Mm. So the log was a means of testing. It's a means of testing. second thing, the law was a means of teaching. God was teaching them the fundamental lesson of listen and obey. Listen and obey. That's what happens when you have faith in Jesus. You listen to him and you obey him. Okay, that's, that's the logical outworking of trusting someone, of trusting Jesus. It, in fact, it says in uh, James chapter 1, verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay, this is the fundamental lesson of listening and obeying. It says in verse 25, There, the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, then I won't curse you. This won't be Egypt all over again. You will discover that I am the Lord your healer, and I will heal your hearts. What a wonderfully painful lesson. To make it to their destination, God's children would have to trust him three days into the journey, no less than the day when they were delivered out of slavery in the first place. The same trust that they had to employ as God led them out of Egypt, took them through the Red Sea, was the same kind of trust, if not more so, that they would have to practice and learn and grow in as the journey progressed. This is the book of Galatians. We don't begin by the Spirit only to perfect ourselves in the flesh. We don't begin by grace. We don't begin by trusting God only then to work it out on our own as we go along. The same Faith that God's children were using three days in the journey was the same faith they were using day one, and this is the lesson that God was trying to teach them. Only three days in, giants still await. He needed them to understand. This was great. This was awesome. This is something to sing songs about. This is only the beginning. And God's beginning to teach them at the very outset how this thing's going to play out. How, in fact, you are going to cross the Jordan. How you are going to face the giants. How you are going to enter into God's kingdom to ultimately experience the fullness of his life. The lesson that you're learning now, the bitterness in your heart that God is dealing with now is in preparation for giants to come. God is teaching his people constantly. He's healing us so that we might be strong in the power of his might, that we might learn to trust him, and increasingly so, because he is the one who's faithful. And that's why... Ultimately, we're all learning to rest in Jesus. Let let me say something quickly, and and we're actually gonna close. We're gonna have a baptism this morning, if I didn't mention that earlier. Um, When Jesus was hanging on the cross, this is the gospel according to John, it said that when all things... Had been finished, Jesus cried out, I thirst. And it said there was a jar of sour or bitter wine sitting nearby, and someone grabbed it and gave it to him, and he drank the bitter wine. So they dipped the hyssop branch into the bitter wine and gave it to Jesus, and he took it, and after that he yelled out, It is finished. Jesus cried out, I thirst. the thirst they were experiencing here the thirst that we experience in the wilderness is the thirst that Jesus experienced for us now i know that might seem like but what does that actually mean for my emotional state now what does that mean for me when it feels like my marriage is just is is hanging on by a thread If that. What does that mean for me when, like, my future is utterly unclear, and honestly, half the time I just think about killing myself? Explain to me what Jesus thirsting on a Roman tree 2,000 years ago has to do with my life now. You might be thinking that. Help me connect the dots. There is a reality of the Spirit of God present, dwelling in our hearts, that transcends any philosophy or technique or or religious routine that you might subscribe to. This was one of the the aspects of the Christian faith that is fundamentally unlike any other religious system or philosophy on offer out there. Because at the end of the day, the story that we're being told isn't just about an ancient rabbi with really cool new teachings that were meant to somehow apply to our lives. It is that. I don't want to marginalize the teachings of Jesus, but... What makes it so profoundly different and awesome and relevant to what we're talking about is that God puts his spirit in our hearts. And the words become more than just words. And they're more than just ideas and it's more than just a philosophy to apply. The spirit of God begins to fill our hearts with his love. Hope begins to become a reality on the inside of us despite how bitter our circumstances may be, despite how I might feel about them. Peace that surpasses understanding. Anything that makes sense begins to grow on the inside of us because the Spirit of God has been poured into our hearts. And you say, like for real? That's a real thing? Yes. Yes. And if you've never experienced it, I couldn't encourage you more. Say yes to Jesus. Thank you. I like you. I'm glad you're here, Lynn. No, keep it going. We are filled with the Spirit of God. And we realize that Jesus thirsted for us, that we might experience rivers of living water flowing from within. That as Jesus emptied himself out for us, we can be filled with him and his spirit because of who he is and what he's done. It's not complicated. Almost Unbelievable. But guys, it's true. It's true. Um, I would attribute the health of our marriage to it. I would attribute um, anything good in my life lately to the Spirit of God transforming me from the inside out, displacing that bitterness with his love, his joy, and everything that's good. Can I invite the worship team to come forward, please? If you're getting baptized this morning, and I believe there's a few of you here, I think four, um, now would be the time for you to go ahead and change, if you'd like to do that. Uh, Casey is going to be standing at the back of the room there. We've got some towels for you. Um, And she can give you one of those towels. We're going to uh, worship together as we normally do. Think of this as a time of response. What is it that God is saying to you this morning? What do you simply need to thank God for this morning? What bitterness, perhaps, lingers in your soul that you need to surrender to God and say, God, put the log in my heart. Rescue me again. Perhaps for the first time. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. This water, this water. Symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. And not the removal of dirt from the body, not the physical act of baptism, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Our friends who are about to enter into the waters of baptism are about to declare their yes to Jesus. It's a picture of them entering into the water, passing through the Red Sea, being cleansed, dying to self only to be raised again into new life just as Jesus did three days later. It's a beautiful picture. It's a powerful picture. A couple of them may have actually done this before. You know, I was baptized when I was a little kid. I'm very grateful for the experience. It's wonderful. Some of you were probably baptized as a little kid. When I was 24, I finally realized what it meant. For the longest time, at the very most, I would have like, considered myself to be agnostic. And then I found myself in a little Christian meeting and someone was preaching Jesus. And my goodness, the Holy Spirit just convicted me of my sin, cut to the heart. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? This is not what God gave me life for. And so I gave my life to Jesus. And I thought, right, I'm gonna get baptized because I think I'm, I'm actually a Christian now. And that's, that's some of your stories. If you would like to get baptized this morning, if you'd like to join our little crew, uh, you're very welcome to do that. Um, you're like, I didn't bring anything. I, we might have some, some shorts and t-shirts, or you can just go, go close all in. Let's stand together.